morning. My name is Terry Swan. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm delighted to be with you this morning, uh, preaching God's word. I know that there's a group from uh, our church that went to Costa Rica this last week. There were 27 of them. They did not get in until after midnight last night, and they're here. A lot of them are here worshiping. So, hey, wave or stand up or kind of do like this if you were part of them. Stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Servants, servant hearts right there in the heat, right? It was hot, was it? Just a smidge? Yeah, but it was worth it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you. We're going to be talking today on this Independence Day celebration in our worship about one of the greatest battles ever fought in biblical history. And that is David and Goliath. We're going to be in this series that we're calling Old School. And each one of the pastors are picking a story or an Old Testament scripture uh, to kind of unpack that. And so I was really thinking about what do you preach on uh, for Independence Day week that we celebrate that. And I thought, David and Goliath is a great battle story. Now, it's one of those stories in Sunday school that remember. I grew up in the time of felt boards, you know where uh, the Sunday school teacher would put the, the felt figures on that felt board and you kind of, it came to life. And, and it would always be taught in the way that, that David was the underdog, right? He was the little guy, the little shepherd. He was the underdog and he's going to battle against this great big giant Philistine. But I think for years we've been getting that story wrong. I think we've been looking at it from the lens that David was the underdog when we realized that he really had the upper hand all along. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. So if you want, you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to pull that out. I won't think you're Googling or texting or whatever. Pull, pull out a, a Bible app if you'd like to. If you want to highlight, feel free. But we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. And beginning with chapter 17, and we hear um, how the story begins, how it's set up. Now, this valley, it's the Shephelah, it's the Shephelah, and the Philistines are from Crete, they're seafaring warriors, and the Israelites are along that mountain ridge on the other side of Israel where Jerusalem and Jericho, all of those big cities kind of are along that mountain ridge, and they find themselves in the Shephelah, in the, in the valley of Elah, and where this battle takes place, and they're at a um, standstill. They, um, one is on one side, Philistines are on one side on a mountain ridge, and the Israelites are on the other, and so they're in this valley of Elah. A lot of battles took place there because they were trying to come up through that area into the area where the Israelites were. The Philistines and the Israelites were enemies for many years. So first of all, it says, a champion named Goliath from Goth came out from the Philistine camp and he was more than nine feet tall. So there's this huge giant, right? Scholars say it could have been anywhere from six and a half feet to nine feet tall. And so this huge man comes out from the, um, the soldiers and enters the valley and he taunts the Israelites. Come on out and battle me. Come on, you're God's nothing. He's hurling insults at the living God. And so come on out. Now this was 
common. It was single combat. In the times they would use this, they would pick, each side would pick their best warrior. They would come out and fight that battle, and whoever won the battle then won for their side. And so here's this huge giant. He's got bronze helmet on, shield, and he's guided out by his shield bearer. He's walked out onto the field. That gives us a first clue of why this giant may not be who we think he is. And so he's guided out onto the field. He's hurling insult, decked out with his spear, armor all over him. And the Israelites were terrified. This goes on for 40 days and 40 nights. It says in verse 16, For 40 days straight the Philistine came out and took his stand both morning and evening. So he does this constant taunting to the Israelites. Now if we go back to verse 12, it tells us first of David. Now David was Jesse's son from Bethlehem and Judah who, ate, who had eight sons. Who had eight sons. So he's the youngest He's the baby of the family. He's the shepherd boy. And so the brothers are at war. So David is told by Jesse, dad, to come and bring the brothers some food. And David gets there and he's going, what is going on here? What is happening? And so he comes to Saul and he says, don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. Now then, Saul's reaction is, you know, typical, right? You can't do this. You're just a boy. And this man's been fighting since he was a boy. You can't win at this. You know, and, and then David gives all the reasons why he thinks God has equipped him for this and why he thinks that it's okay for him to be able to, to win this battle. And Saul says, well, then, okay, then wear my armor. Okay, that would be like me wearing a great big shirt of Joe's, right? Way too big. Couldn't walk around in it. And he said, I can't do that. I can't even walk in it. So I'm not going to wear your armor. I'm going to fight the battle the way that God's equipped me. Now then, there were three different kinds of combat. There was um, the hand-to-hand -hand combat, the infantry, foot soldiers. There was cavalry, the ones who were rode in the chariots and horseback. And then there was artillery. There were the archers and the slingers, right? David was a slinger, not to be confused with swinger. Slinger, okay? <laughs> slinger. And we're not talking slingshot. We're talking a... Um, a leather pouch long like this that they would whirl with a rock in it and sling it. Now, if it was a slingshot, there'd be many parents dead by now. So we know it was not a slingshot, okay? Not a toy. It was a sling. And the rocks in that area were barium sulfite. They were dense rocks. So whirling a sling with that kind of rock in it Seven or eight times it would come out of the sling about the velocity that a bullet comes out of a 45 millimeter, millimeter handgun. And slingers were accurate. They were very accurate. 
The only place on Goliath that was not covered was where? Right here. And so David goes out to fight the battle on his own terms, the way that God had created him. Goliath did not expect David to change the game on him. He expected hand-to-hand combat. And this giant seemed so enormous. How in the world could David defeat him? Well, I've been reading this book entitled David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Great book if you want to pick it up. And he gives us the image that this giant may have had some things that were at his disadvantage. He seemed enormous, he seemed great big, but he could have had acromegaly. Um, There's a few doctors in the room that are shaking their head like this. Andre the Giant had acromegaly. Remember Andre the Giant from Princess Bride, kids? That movie? Uh Uh-huh. And then um, Robert Wadlow, the tallest man in the world, died um, while he was still growing. And what it's caused from is a benign tumor on the pituitary gland that causes the growth rate to continue. And one of the side effects from this is that it squeezes the optic nerve. Now then, he had to be led out onto the field, right, by the, the, the shield bearer. He had to be led out onto the field. He couldn't see where he was walking. He yells at David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? David had one staff, not sticks. And so therefore, he was seeing double vision. And he could not see where he was going. And so, giants aren't always what they seem, right? Giants aren't always what they seem. David had the upper hand all along, and David used the way that God had created him, and he switched the rules of the game. Goliath expected hand-to-hand combat because that's who he was. But David said, no, I'm a slinger, and therefore I'm going to take you out as a slinger. Now that's the story. You know, the stone hits Goliath, he falls down, and David takes the giant's own sword and severs his head. And Israelite, the Israelites are victorious. But I want to come back to one verse. It's the verse in which David was grabbing the stones. It says in the scriptures, he grabbed his staff and chose five smooth stones from the stream bed. He put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag and with sling in hand went to the Philistine. Now then, why five stones? Have you ever wondered that? Why five stones? If slingers were very accurate, why would he take five stones with him? Joe said for insurance, right? In case he missed. I was with a group of pastors this last week at a conference, and I posed them the question, why five stones? I've always wondered that. And one of them shared with me that there is a legend out there that there were more giants to slay 
perhaps Goliath's brothers. I don't know if I'd go for that legend. I'm always skeptical of legends that are not in the Bible, right? Um, But I do believe that there were other giants for David to face that day. And they were giants that he needed to face before he could walk out on the battlefield. Think about that. He needed to face some giants within himself and within some of the community before he could walk out on that battlefield. The first giant that he needed to face was the perceived disadvantage. Everyone thought, this is a bad idea, right? To send this little shepherd boy out onto the field with this enormous giant. He's at a disadvantage. But really, his disadvantage was his greatest strength. He asked the question, why do people in this book that Malcolm Gladwell wrote, he asked this specific question. He said, why do people automatically assume that the weaker, smaller, poorer, less educated are necessarily at a disadvantage? Just because David was small and young, everybody thought he was at the disadvantage, but he really wasn't. Everybody thought he was the underdog, but really he had the upper hand. God had been preparing him for this moment all along. If we go back to chapter 16, before this story takes place, Samuel, the priest, is trying to anoint God's next king. And he's told to go to Jesse's son, and Jesse lines up his son, and God says, no, not that one, no, not that one, no, not that one. Have you got another son? You know, and, and Jesse says, well, just David, he's out there in the field tending sheep. And he said, well, bring him to me. And God placed it on Samuel's heart. He's the one. And the verse says, God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. God knew David's heart. And David's heart was his greatest advantage. Now, I don't know that I've ever shared with you that my granddaughter, Tessa, 13 years old, has Asperger's. I don't think I've ever shared that with this congregation. Um, And Tessa, what some would say is a disadvantage, I think is her greatest strength. Because Tessa sees with her heart. She sees with her heart. And she feels everything. You know, I mean, there's no question what Tessa's feeling at any given moment, right? She's either elated or she's sad or she's confused. I mean, she, her feelings are everything. And what some would say is a disadvantage, I think, is her greatest gift. If you don't know anything about Asperger's, um, social situations become overwhelming. And so Asperger. Um, requires that you have some time alone, some time away from the social so that you can have an outlet. And Tessa's outlet, (laughs) music and movies, loves them. And Laura, my daughter, knows that if she is coming home from school, she's been in that setting all day long, that she's going to need some time alone with her music in order to kind of get back okay. 
and um, she can quote every line of a movie verbatim. It will get on your nerves, right? But that's who she is, and she knows every line of every song, and every play she's ever tried out for, she's got one of the lead roles because that has how God has gifted her. She's going to play Malcolm from Madagascar in a couple weeks, the neurotic giraffe, right? And so um, that's the way God's gift her. So what society may deem as a disadvantage really may be an advantage of how God has gifted you. You know, think of entrepreneurs and actors and, and authors and scientists. You know, a number of them, number of them say that um, society might say it was a they have something that would be a disadvantage, but it really it isn't. It is not, it is their gift. You know, not everything is as it is perceived. Right, church? The second giant that, that David is going to need to slay and face is the giant of dis discouragement. You know, everyone was afraid. They were terrified. In fact, the scriptures say Saul and all of Israel were distressed and terrified. This giant is out there hurling insults every day. For 40 days, he's hurling insults at the God, the God of their lives and of their heart. Whose voice are they listening to? They're listening to this giant's voice instead of God's voice telling them that they can. You know, I mean... If you listen to negative, fearful voices long enough, you become what? Negative and fearful. Fear and negativity is highly contagious. It's worse than any flu out there. So whose voice are you listening to? David had to face the grumbling, the fear, the wringing of the hands, we can't defeat them. We can't defeat this giant. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. And if you hear we can't long enough, you begin to believe we can't, right? So if you hang out with angry people, you become angry. If you hang out with bitter people, you become bitter. God says to pull those around you that can encourage, right? My grandma used to say it this way, birds of a feather flock together. There's some wisdom in that. Pull people around you who can encourage. So David had to face that giant of discouragement. And then the third giant that David had to face was disapproval. If we go into the scriptures and we read fully the story, we hear how his brothers respond to when, they, when, when David begins to ask the questions about what does it mean to slay this giant? What, what, what do we need to do to slay this giant? And he starts to talk to the soldiers around. And I love how the message, it's a paraphrased translation. I love how the message kind of translates this. He says, Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? You know how he's putting him down? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. So he begins to question David's motives, right? 
He began, he, he's questioning that, and he's discouraging him. He's got this disapproval, disapproval. And I don't know about you, but family dynamics happen in every family, right? Sibling rivalry happens, right? And it's usually the ones that we love the most that tend to discourage us or disapprove of, of what God has called us to do the, the most, and, and that could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're a little scared of what God's called you to do or, or it's too public or they don't understand. So David had to fight the giant or face the giant of disapproval. But the last one, he had to fight the giant, face the giant of doubt. Everybody doubted. The soldiers doubted. The brothers doubted. Saul doubted. Saul's the champion, right? He's the king. He's the expert in battle, and he doubted. He said, you can't do this. You're just a boy. And this man's been fighting since he was a boy. How in the world can you do this? David goes into how God has shown up in his life over and over and over again. He remembers all the victories he has had. And he relays that to Saul. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, and if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock, I will go after it, strike it, and rescue the animal from its mouth. If it turned on me, I would grab it at its jaw and strike it and kill it, and your servant has fought lions and bears." He pulled back and he remembered all the times God had shown up in his life and he said, the Lord who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. David had to remember who he was, how God created him to be. He was a slinger. He changed the game on the giant and he knew who was his anchor, as the song said. He knew that God was his anchor, that God had shown up over and over again in his life. Why would he doubt him now? And he goes out, he puts that fifth stone in his sling, whirls it, strikes the giant, and killed not only Goliath, but all of the giants he faced that day. You see, giants come in all forms, don't they, church? They come in pain and brokenness and fear. And I think we make those giants bigger than they really are. We face giants each and every day. And if we face them with God, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. We can conquer with God. 